Welcome, everybody, to It's Too Wordy, the comic book podcast where two buddies talk about comics from their childhood and today. I'm Kirk. I'm Ryan. So, we're back. We We had a nice long Thanksgiving break because I'm an idiot. Anyway, how was your Thanksgiving, Ryan? Wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. You? Uh, I had two, so, and they were two days apart, so it was good. I didn't have to go right from one to another. Had time to recover. <laughs> yep, had a day to recover. There you go. So, all right, well, let's jump right in and start with the new book. Did you want to go first? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, so I did uh, Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, um, and Jason Aaron wrote it. And I'm not going to even try to pronounce the artist on this. Um, and what caught my attention, besides the fact that Jason Aaron wrote it, most of the stuff he writes, pretty solid stuff. But uh, there is a Fallout-type cover to it. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, nice. Uh, this is by Boom. It was issue number one. And I, not knowing what it was, just picked it up to try it out. And this was very interesting. Um, it is that uh, dystopian-type world. Uh, it appears that it is completely flooded. Um and it starts off with a kid rowing a boat, well, a person rowing a boat. You don't know it's a kid. And they get kind of stranded, so they go into a, uh office building that's obviously raised up above the water a little bit. You know, lower half's water, the upper half out of the water. And goes into the office building to kind of seek refuge. And the second the kid goes, well, the this person goes into the building an alarm starts going off and you meet the second character. Um, and his name is, let's see. I, he says, calls himself this repeatedly. What is it? Maceo. Yeah, it's Maceo. And he set an alarm. Uh, this is where him, his family, well, his parents and himself live. And he sees that somebody has come into the, building and a giant octopus squid uh something or other is going after him they call him swan uh, what is it muck suckers is what they what he calls them and he's like oh this guy's dead anyhow who cares but he's watching it on the camera and the guy that broke in is just like destroying this muck sucker and he's like huh so the guy that broke in finally gets away from this muck sucker. Um, this other muck sucker shows up and he kind of breaks away and kind of gets into a, a stairwell area. And that's where Maceo's at. And starts getting threatened by the guy that broke in. And he's like, Hey, you know, I, I'll share my food with you. Just enjoy having some company around. And <laughs> like any typical, office building apparently uh he has a book pool so it is a pool filled with books a what he calls the river room where water's running into this room and he has the a boat set up or a um, raft that he slides down on the escalators to go into the water um he's got a safe room which is full of pillows And then he calls it the elevator zoo where in all the different elevators, he's got some kind of creature he's captured and they're all glass elevators. So you can see uh, the creatures and then they walk past the mom and dad's room and it's got uh, signs, you know, the danger keep out signs up. It's like, yep, that's my mom and dad's room. Forget it. And then they go into the orchard, which is a room full of vending machines filled with food. And, um, at this point, 
Macy OCs on the backpack of this individual that's there that the individual is named Esmeralda. And she's like, I got to go. Uh, I got, I've got to get to where I need to go. Um, and he's like, well, take some food with you. And she, she's like, you're not going to charge me for this. No, go ahead take whatever you want. And she ends up leaving and Maceo kind of just stands there watching her leave as she crosses this bridge. And it's a, one of the, you know, the classic in the jungle, what rope bridges would, you know, uh, panels across the uh, across it, not real stable looking, and um, it's starting to cross it, and we go back to Maceo, and he's sitting outside of his parents' bedroom door, and talking to him and saying that uh, you know he, something about her, she he just felt like he was connected to her. Um, it's starting to question whether or not he should go with her, and then they show a picture of what it looks like inside the parents' room. Uh, which is sealed off and the parents had died on the bed holding each other, some kind of disease. And, uh, Oh, that's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe the parents have just left for a little bit. We're out in the world kind of thing, but then you see, see this. And, um, as Esmeralda is going, all of a sudden, Maceo shows up, and he's got one of those gigantic backpacks. It kind of reminds me, like, uh, if you think of the, um, the gadget kid from Goonies, how he had that big backpack. Data, yep. Yeah, Data. It's even bigger than that. He brought everything, including the kitchen sink. He didn't know what, I mean, this is his first time out in the world, essentially, for a very long time. And it's like, yeah, I'm going with you. And then the end of the book, it jumps ahead years later to an older version of Maceo. And he's being questioned about Esmeralda. And that's where it leaves off at. Oh, wow. Um, I will give it another shot. I mean, there wasn't a ton there to get me really connected uh, I like the idea that if it's going to prim- be primarily about the two characters and their travels in this dy- dystopian society, could be interesting. But my margin for error on it is very slim. And if they jump the shark early, I'm going to be out. Okay. So that's what I had. All right. Well, today I read for this week. Uncanny X-Men number 1 through 534. Prepare to sit down and... No, just kidding. <laughs> um, I picked up uh, Star Wars Hidden Empire number 1. Okay. Um, so basically, this is a continuation of Kira's journey from the Solo movie. She was the person who took over... Uh, the Crimson Dawn crime syndicate after oh okay what's yep. his face was what's his face was killed and uh, so she um, has a huge mad on for taking uh, Emperor Palpatine Palpatine out so she starts building a hidden empire. And basically what she does is she starts recruiting all across the galaxy with the promise of a more equal galaxy and freer place. We all know what happens when somebody gets killed and somebody else takes over. It's never what they promise, right? Right. Even with our government, when it's a peaceful transition of power, 90% of the time they don't come through, right? Right. Typical. Um, But the way she does it is she has operatives in every facet doing like different tasks for her. Like she has different teams operating all throughout the galaxy trying to take out the Sith. Um, She has operatives even in the Empire. 
Um, so, um, she is trying to find an artifact called the Fermata Cage. And what this is, is it's a dark side artifact, and it's supposed to have immense power. And she doesn't have a dark side force user, because there's, you know, only really two of them. Yep. There's supposed to only be two, because it's the rule of two. So she recruits the Knights of Ren. Apparently, Ren is a honorific title. It is not like, you know, Ben Solo's name. It's like an honorific mm -hmm. in this group. And she uses them as a physical conduit to, to harness this energy. Well, somehow Palpatine finds out that um out about this artifact and he wants it at all costs and he i think prince zizor from shadows of the empire and black sun showed up and all these other the huts and all these other crime uh syndicates, syndicates show up were like and he's like i i've i'm i'm letting you operate you know pretty much unrestricted but i am running it right and so he finds out that she has it and um he confronts her and starts force choking it choking her into revealing where it's at well kira is very sly and doesn't care if she dies so she's not even on board the ship where it's at right he doesn't know that because Maul has taught her to cloud her, her brain, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. So, they he destroys what he thinks is her ship. They cra She crash lands on a planet. The Knights of Ren betray her because they were tired of being tortured because they're actually getting, like, electrocuted with... Uh, force lightning to run this machine and they said they weren't getting paid enough well when the they opened up the cage and all that dark force dark side energy went out into the universe Palpatine sensed where it was at and dispatched Vader to bring it to him and that's where it ended I kind of want to see where it's going because I'm looking for a non hopefully this will this will be a non Jedi thing and it'll be about crime crime families yep but I'm not sure yet so I kind of want to get the next issue but if it's just gonna be focusing on Vader and Palpatine going after her I don't think I'll stick around too long yeah, those those Star Wars stories always start off with a decent, you know, first issue, but you never know where it's going. And the second issue is probably the one that, or typically the one that kind of just says, "All right, yeah, you're either going to like it or you're going to hate it." Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely going to pick up issue two when it comes out. So cool. it was a pretty decent read. Nice. So. I've kind of given up on the Star Wars world. There's been some that I've looked at. Like they did a series called War of the Bounty Hunters. Okay. And I thought about picking that up because honestly, out of the whole Star Wars universe, the Bounty Hunters are the ones I think are the coolest. You know, right. it's not Jedi. It's not Empire. It's. I think that's why I kind of liked... Um, no... I can't. What was the Star Wars book that came out that took place right after Empire, but before Jedi? Shadows. Shadows and the Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, I love that with Prince Zizor and Black Sun. Yep. Yeah, that was cool. It's too. One of my favorite. One of my favorite books too. 
uh, Tales of the Bounty Hunters, the, the stuff like that. Tales from Jabba's Palace. Yep. It, because I'm like you. It's the focus is always on the Jedi stuff. Give me some of those side characters. You know how I am about side characters when it comes to those yep. massive universes. I want to know more about yep. them, not necessarily the main characters. So exactly, I, I like. Uh, I like everything having to do with like the smugglers and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. like bounty hunters and smuggling. The game I'm going to run is going to be based on a, a smuggling heist. Oh, cool. So I'm really into that part because I'm, I really like the Mandalorian and I, I know I gave it a hard time, but book of Boba Fett was okay. Once it took off. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a slow start, but yeah, it did pick up. But that's what I'm more interested in the Star Wars area now. I'm, I'm kind of tired of the Jedi, and I'm kind of I want new characters, and you know they don't have any connection to anybody in the the saga. Well, I don't even mind a connection to an extent. It just it's not necessary for that connection to show up, right? You know that I agree complete. I agree completely. You know they can say, "Yeah, the, this is uh, Han's cousin or something like that." Okay, great. And they talk about how they re- used to run around as kids or something. Fine, I don't care. But you don't need Han to show up to make it a story. No, you don't. So, all right. Uh, now we're going to move on to Quarter Quest Comics on the Cheap, where we dive through the bins to find gold. Um, so, I had the 80s because of a snafu. Did you remember that, Ryan? Uh-huh. Okay. Um... So I did uh, Kitty Pride and Wolverine number one from November 1984. And guess who the writer was? Claremont. Chris, Chris Claremont. Because who else would write Kitty Pride and Wolverine but Chris? Uh, the artist was Alan Milgram. Milgram. And then the colorists were Tom Orchkowski and Glynis Ween. So, story starts off, Kitty has gone home to visit her dad in Chicago. And she goes to his office to see him and go to dinner. And she finds out he's in a meeting, but, like, I, you know, she uses her powers to get in the building because it was after hours. And she, oops, accidentally phases through a door and there's the security guard right behind her and he's like oh how did you get here i just checked right and uh so she's always got the inner monologue saying that wolverine would kill me being so sloppy and getting caught like that and you know it's like stuff like that so um she goes up to the door and she's eavesdropping and she hears a lot of commotion and she storms in um because he hears she hears somebody get hit gets hit and turns out it's her dad and um he ends up introducing her to the people from the main office in japan because the bank that has been in her family for generations has uh, been sold to a Japanese conglomerate. So, uh, Mr. Pride must be a huge uh, huge banking guy in the banking industry if it's being taken over by Japan. Yep. And uh, uh, her dad tells her that he has to, he has to uh, cancel on dinner. And she's like, okay, that's cool. I'll just wait around and... and uh, one of the guys says she doesn't know, understand that you have to go to Japan. He's like, yeah, I have to fly to Japan and, uh, and meet with the head of the bank. Well, Kitty being, you know, Kitty 
hothead, always thinking she has to protect people. She wants to protect her dad. So she sneaks on the plane and flies to Japan. And pretty much everything that could go wrong goes wrong. Like she's in the plane and um, the luggage falls on top of her. Because it's not, when the plane takes off, all the luggage shifts to the back and lands on top of her. So she goes and she she sneaks into the cockpit and she's sleeping in a in a in one of the seats and the the flight attendant comes up and asks if she has a ticket and she said no and she's like i knew you were a stowaway and you know you have to just sit there until we land and the captain will deal with you then well um the plane lands and the cops are there and Kitty phases a, phases through the plane and ends up getting away before the cops even know what's going on. And so she goes and, you know, she, uh, she goes into the, the bank and she falls asleep on a couch saying that the jet lag is caught up with her and you know because everybody would just sleep in you know on a couch in the bank that you know you just broke into right um so uh she gets caught and the security guard uh shoots at her Kitty goes through the window and starts running away. And um, all of a sudden it's, you know, cold. And uh, she's she's got a fever and she just wants a nice place to stay. But she has uh, $4 and a stick of gum. <laughs> Sounds like me. Dad gave her. Her dad gave her cab fare to get to the airport to send her back to uh, Westchester to the mansion to the school. Yep. And um, so she decides that she's going to rob a bank. She's going to rob an ATM. She phases through and takes a big handful of money. She turns around. There's a cop. She gets spooked or gets scared, gets caught, and she runs again. So she finally decides that she has had enough and she's going to call home. She get you know, and she calls the mansion and Wolverine picks up. And she quickly hangs up on him because she doesn't know want to know want to want him to know that he's there. That's right. not who she wanted to talk to. And so um then she for some reason goes back to the bank. Don't know why. Um and she sneaks in and Finds out her dad is laundering money for the bank in Japan. And she's like, no! <laughs> you know. And uh, uh, and will Wolverine uh, come and rescue Kitty in Japan? Of course he will. <laughs> So that's where it leaves off. She finds out her dad's laundering money. And um, I did read a couple more of the issues. And I got to say, I like it. Good. Good. I haven't quite gotten the time to finish it. It's a good story so far. Found out that she is trained to be a ninja by, I think his name is Ogun. And she is trained to be an assassin to go try to kill Wolverine when 
Wolverine gets to Japan. Hmm. So, I was like, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. So, I think I have three issues left of it, because I haven't really had time to sit down and read too much. But, yeah, that's, that's, a that's six what issue. I had. Yeah, it's a six-issue miniseries. And I got it for $12, Nice. Yeah, at a little con down in Kansas City. So, yep. That's what I had. Well, I got the 90s to current. And this one's from 2000. Um, it's from Image and a subsidiary, Raw Studios. Um <clears throat> Written by Thomas Jane, not sure if that's Punisher Thomas Jane or some other person named Thomas Jane, and Steve Niles, Todd Farmer, and Don Marquez. And I know I haven't given the name of this yet, but uh, the cover is a bunch of dinosaurs looking up into the sky, looking at an alien spaceship. And one of the dinosaurs is eating another dinosaur. And it's called Alien Pig Farm 3000. Okay. So, Alien Pig Farm 3000, title gives you, grabs your attention immediately. Dinosaurs staring at a alien ship. You bet. Okay. Uh, paid less than a dollar for it. Was it's, there a pig and was there a farm? Well, that's where it gets interesting. So, I clearly upgraded, and I will tell you this, it's not hard to upgrade from the previous 90s book that we did before we had the Snafu, which was the Warrior comic based off of Warrior Ultimate Warrior. Don't read it. Don't buy it. Burn it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now I remember it. I, I went Use out and picked it up right device. after you talked about it. Oh, Horrible. So I didn't want to cover that again, so I decided I would uh, move over to <laughs> Alien Pig Farm 3000. So it, the first okay. couple of pages starts off with a alien ship landing on a planet. And on this planet, there are dinosaurs. And um, the ship lands. It, so the let me correct myself here. Okay, so there is a spaceship landing on a planet with dinosaurs. A secondary spaceship is chasing the first spaceship. And it's a much bigger um, ship. And so the first ship crash lands and over by some dinosaurs. The second ship comes landing in behind it. And uh, these massive monsters come off the larger ship. And they rip open the top of this other uh, smaller ship. And uh, there's these cute little Martians. Kind of look like these uh, Space Invaders Martians, if you remember those. Uh, The big green heads, you know. And uh, one of them hits a button while these big, big massive monsters are looking into this tiny spaceship. And this is where the second I decided I was going to review this book, there is a little circular panel as you see these massive monsters looking into the ship, and all four of those aliens are flipping them off. They're like... (laughs) That's awesome. The next thing you see is this massive kaboom. So they launched or set off a bomb. Which jumps us to Horton County, Kentucky, population 3,000, pig farming capital of the world. And uh, (laughs) there is two guys, they're half-brothers, and they're driving along, and um, they get off the side of the road, 
and pull a tree down in front of a cop because they're afraid the cops are going to follow them. And the reason you think they're going to be, the reason they think they're getting followed is because they go to uh, a moonshine still. And so they're trying to, you know, uh, kind of take it apart so they can get away and um, I wish I could remember what the one's name is here. Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm so bad at this name thing. Uh, so one of them's called Elvis, which only makes sense. And I can't remember what the other one's name is. Anyhow, um, uh, they decide to break apart or break away. So in the red or in the truck, uh, the one guy's getting in with all the distillery stuff while the other one is, or uh, excuse me, the, in the truck, they're getting away with the alcohol and the other Elvis is going to blow up the, uh, still leaving no evidence. And, uh, a pursuit goes through on through the woods as their ch- cops are chasing this truck and Elvis is getting set to blow everything up. He blows up the still, gets away on a motorcycle, but the explosion of the still causes some earth to fall, and he ends up falling into a gigantic hole. In the meantime, the guy in the red truck uh, pulls a Dukes of Hazard, meaning he comes to a dead end on a road and jumps, and um, the police don't make it, Standard Dukes of Hazard theory there. Um, he pulls up to his dad's house. Oh, it's Johnny Ray. That's the guy, other guy's name. So Elvis and Johnny Ray. And um, his half-sister comes out of the house with her. his dad. His dad's got his shotgun ready to blast him. And his half-sister's like, no, it's Johnny Ray. You can't kill him. So he goes back inside. Then you find out Johnny Ray and the half-sister have a thing going on. Yeah. And, yeah, it's... This is all over the place. We jump back over to Elvis, who fell in a hole. He found a gigantic... Uh, found the spaceship the, that didn't get blown up. And he goes down into the hull of it. And um, there's, like, this... It's, I don't know what it is with spaceships. Everybody thinks that spaceships have to have this area where it's either got like clones of people or uh, other aliens in it, that kind of a thing. Well, that's exactly the case. Uh, we have some famous ones that are showing up here. We have the alien. We have a predator. We have the uh, Mars attacks. We have uh, E.T. They're all in these little containment cells. And um, Elvis is just screwing around and hits a button. And all of a sudden, out this panel lifts up from the floor. And one of those massive monsters is coming out. Massive aliens is coming out. And is about to attack Elvis. And that is where it leaves off at. This was a lot of fun. Massive cliffhanger. Uh-huh. This, this was just unbelievably fun um actually this came out in 2007 excuse me i think i said 2000 this was 2007 this was so much fun i am absolutely going to be pursuing the other issues um and check it out and see where it goes because this was just just ridiculous and the aliens flipping off the other aliens priceless I'm nice. sold. Sold American. All right. So now it's a time for everybody's favorite uh, segment. The random reads, man. Random read. The random reads. Random read. <laughs> um, I'll go first. Um, I rehashed uh, one of them, and I read a different book for the other. KK? Start with the one that I just read this morning. Can you guess what it is? 
Okay, uh, let's see. Punisher? Nope, wrong. Immortal X-Men number eight. See, I felt like if I went Immortal or with X-Men, it would have been Punisher. I had a 50-50. <laughs> um, so I picked up, uh, well, yeah, Immortal X-Men number eight. The writer is Kieran Gillen. And the artist is Michelle Bandini. And the cover artist was Mark Brooks. Uh, This issue centered around pretty much the whole book was about Destiny, Mystique, and Mr. Sinister. And it's kind of a time jump story that... A goes into a lot of Destiny and Mystique's relationship and how long it's been a thing. Help me out, I, I don't know Destiny. Destiny is the precog that uh, she can see into the future and she's the one that during this whole Dawn of X and stuff okay. uh, Moya McTaggart kept dead so she couldn't come and kill her. Got it. Um, that it's Mystique's uh, wife. They've been together in the books since beginning. Um, she was killed sometime in the eighties. Um, and she stayed dead for a long time, and then they decided to bring her back. Gotcha. Um, so it it explains a lot about. Uh, the two of their the their those two's relationship and destiny would pretty much lock her out of her life to protect mystique and the book starts in 1943 and she makes herself look like one of those pinup models from the the 40s right right yeah yeah so and she goes and talks. She finds out that Destiny is at a military research facility. There you go. Okay, got it. And um, she's at a research facility. And she finds out that she's doing experiments on mutant ch- children. Um, and that she is working with Nathaniel Essex, who is... Mr. Sinister. Okay. And Destiny is working on him, working with him because in the future he'll know, you know, he'll know what to do when the time is right. When it comes to mutants and stuff like that. Right. And then it goes back to London, 1895. And I didn't know that these two had been around since, you know, the 19th century. I guess I really didn't know that much about the two characters to begin with, but... Right. Um, but in that year, they run into... That's the first time they run into uh, Dr. Uh, Mabry, Nathaniel Mabry, who changes his name to... Nathaniel Essex, who is Mr. Sinister. Um, but it isn't what it isn't the Mr. Sinister that we know that he looks like today. He's pretty much gaunt and he's not quite wholly a, a monster or vampire or whatever they want to make him out to be. I don't know what they were trying to say. Yet, and he has consumption, which is tuberculosis. Um Mystique is they're trying to find out who is this uh, This person's going around and killing all these people, and the name of the murderer is Saucy Jack. I love how the Brits come up with these names for their murderers. <laughs> like Jack the Ripper. Now you got Saucy Jack, right? <laughs> and she finds... She finds... Uh, saucy jack 
in an alleyway. And she is now face-to-face with fully monster Mr. Sinister. So Mr. Sinister is Saucy Jack. And he pretty much says, Oh, your blood's gonna look good splattered all over this wall. And so she takes out... She says, "You always, An assassin always brings the right weapon for the job. And she whips out an elephant gun. And, uh, she hits him and nothing happens to him. And he mocks her by saying, and this was my favorite line of the whole book, because I love Mr. Sinister. I love the, the cocky, arrogant, you know, right. Prima Donna, Peacock, Mr. Sinister. And this, this person in Kieran Gillen has gotten that down in spades. I love this Mr. Sinister. And uh, he he mocks her by saying, Oh yes, abuse me like a French impressionist abuses paints. <laughs> you know? And he escapes. And she tracks him all the way back to his home. And he she comes in and uh he's like not now and he's changing back into the frail dr mabry so it kind of gives you that dr jekyll and mr hyde kind of right feel to it so i kind of like that too because it's they don't usually do that too much right yep and uh he starts right scribbling on this chalkboard, right? And he's just like talking about how the monster in him will be trained and he will live to see the 20th century and all the modern marvels that come to be. And he'll be in the next century and the next century and the next century. Well, destiny knocks him out cold and they get him put into an asylum. And the next day he's dead. So did he die? Or didn't he die? Hmm. And throughout the whole book, Mystique is like, she doesn't quite understand how he survived his first death. And this was the first death because she's like, I haven't put it together how that happened. So it was pretty interesting. Um, I think out of all the, the books, the Marauders and this one are my two favorites. Wow. Of of the new books. So yeah. I wasn't sure about this one and it, it's been really well written. Dylan does do a good job. Yeah. So um yeah, I'm loving it. So I at least got one book I got I loved, you know? Yep. And then um uh, I'm gonna review the the book that one of the books I reviewed uh, previously when we I lost the the file. That's what the snafu is. In case you were wondering, um, Captain Marvel number forty three, and it is uh, titled "Revenge of the Brood Part One." The writer is Kelly Thompson. The penciler penciler is Sergio Davila Davia Davila <laughs> um the plot is Carol receives a distress call from Rogue asking for help uh so she decides that she is going to go to the X tree that's in the middle of Central Park because why wouldn't you have an X-Men headquarters in the middle of Central Park that's a tree it's a Krakoan tree, so it has a portal. Right. And um, she recruits, they, they watch the message, and they say that Rogue um, took a, a, a ship out into space a few weeks ago. And it wasn't a short-range vessel, so it was designed for deep space travel. 
so Carol um, recruits uh, Polaris, Wolverine, which was Laura Kinney, and Psylocke and Gambit. Of course, Gambit, because that's that's my wolf, my wife, Mon Cherie, Mon Petit. Still one of my favorite characters. <laughs> Spider Woman and Hazmat. Don't know who Hazmat is, but they go into space and track down where she might have been. Well, they find Rogue Ship and they began searching it and they all recognize a familiar smell because apparently the brood don't take showers and they have a very distinct smell. <laughs> Um, so they finally reach the cockpit of the ship where they want to run into Rogue, but she looks like a brood. And Gambit's like, what the hell did I marry? <laughs> no, just kidding. So that was pretty much the story. I haven't found part two yet. I don't know if it's out yet. I'm going to get it, but some of my favorite things that I picked up on um, was when they were flying in the spaceship going into outer space they were all in the cockpit uh oh that's not good okay um, and uh, they drew Laura Kinney she's in the Wolverine costume and she's sitting She's sitting exactly like Logan would sit when they do all the old school X-Men cartoon or leaning back, feet up on the table. Yeah. Leaning back, feet up, head down, you know. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That that I like that a lot. They they really did a really uh throwback, and I said I liked it because uh I love when Carol was teamed up with the X-Men. Those were some really good issues. Right. Um, it was just like like from the 80s, and I'm definitely going to pick up the next issue. So, that is what I had. Cool. So. All right. Well, I'm doing worst to first, I guess. Um, worst to first. Were... Awesome. None of them were really bad. Um, first one is Catman and Kitten by Dynamite Comics. Uh, apparently, Catman is now a property of Dynamite. This appears to be just a one-shot. Um, Jeff Parker wrote it, and he really does well with those Silver Age-type characters. Um, I mean, Marvelo... Marvelo and Skyman even make an appearance in this. Um, it was it was okay. Uh, I really liked one part of it because they make reference to something and they're like, if you don't believe us, go back and look. And you go back and look and you're like, well, I'll be damned. They weren't wrong. <laughs> um but it the ending kind of felt flat for me because there was a lot of build up and then it's like that's it. So Oh wow. Yeah, it it, it felt like there's gonna be this big mystery and then it wasn't. Um all right. What's oh, the stinks. furthest place from here is by image. Uh, issue 8 just came out. Issue 8 is the start of a new story arc. This is um, Lord of the Flies on, like, acid. This is just insane. It's, um, there's no adults around. Um, every group of kids has, like, their own little section of town. They do a whole, like, uh, warrior's thing going on where they start fighting and junk like that this is just an amazing read um i can't speak highly enough about it the downside to it was there was a 
I think the last issue of this came out in June, and the next issue just came out here in December. Image is the the writers of Image typically do that. It seems like anymore where they're doing they re, do a story arc, and then they take a few months off, and then do the next story arc, which all well and good, but. I feel like sometimes those stories get a little bit misplaced. Um, but with this one, amazing. Check it out. Um, next one is Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries. And this is done in the cartoon style. It's not like, uh, you know, your standard, like Scott Snyder writing it kind of thing. Um, and they are fighting Poison Ivy, and Ooh. it it was utter silliness. But the big focus was on Daphne. Batgirl got um, sprayed by a plant, and her face broke out into a rash. And everybody <gasps> saw Not her. Daphne. No, Batgirl, uh, Barbara Gordon. Oh, Batgirl. She's Barbara Gordon. Sorry. She got sprayed in the face and got all the, this massive rash. And she's like, well, everybody knows I have this rash. I can't go out as Batgirl now because then they'll put two and two together. That Barbara went home. All of a sudden, Batgirl shows up and she's got the same rash. But funny thing is, Uh-oh. Daphne looks almost identical to Batgirl. So Daphne played the part of Batgirl. Um, this is a fun little story. Mm. All right. Uh, two left. So GI Joe's run at IDW is now officially over. 300 came out. Um, the cover I got was every single character ever created, including the pets. On this cover. <gasps> nice. <clears throat> Here is where... I love G.I. Joe. You know I love G.I. Joe. I love G.I. Joe. The story was okay. Yes, you do. It was just okay. I'm like, for a three... You know, for the final issue, I was expecting, like, just this massive home run. It was just... Okay, but is me is me. But the excuse me, the part that made me unbelievably excited were the following words. I want to get this right, so bear with me one second here. Sure, the very last line of the book. To be continued. They left us on a cliffhanger. To be continued. They have not announced where this is going. Um, I've even Googled it to see if they've come out with a response to it yet. They have not. In the back, in the post box, the pit. Um, written by Time Waltz. Uh, he even makes reference to um, Larry knowing what's happening next. He's the only one that doesn't know what's happening next. And to leave it on such a cliffhanger, you can only assume a real American hero will be carrying on somewhere else, and I cannot wait. Do you hope it goes back to Marvel, or do you hope it goes to somewhere else? Well, I was talking to the guys at the shop about that, trying to figure out where it was going to land at. Um, Marvel's the only one that's got the money for it. Really. It, DC doesn't yeah. have it. Um, if DC got it, they would just turn it into G.I. Batman. And nobody wants that. And, um, right. you know, Boom's not big enough. I think it would be really cool if Dark Horse picked it up. I just don't see where they would have the money at. That'd be cool. For it. Um, 
you know, it was at IDW, so it could go to Image, I guess, but it really doesn't feel like it would be a good Image property. I'm not sure where it's going to land. Um, I guess Marvel makes the most sense, but I hope yeah. they they keep it into its own universe and not try to bring it into... Don't do crossovers. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can do the G.I. Joe Transformer crossover, whatever, that's fine. But don't be um, pulling Spider-Man into the universe or, you know, them showing up to help capture Hobgoblin. I, I don't want to see that. I want that, I want it kind of still off in its right. own. Yeah, have it just be its own book. Yeah. All right. And finally, Human Target, book nine, by Tom King and Greg Smallwood. By the way, Greg Smallwood is an amazing artist and a super nice guy. I've had lunch with him. Very cool. Enjoyed having a conversation with him. Um, so this one's been going on for a little bit. It's going to be a 12-part series. And so the Human Target... Uh, Lex Luthor hired him to be his stunt double. He kind of felt like somebody was trying out to kill him. And sure enough, somebody was trying to kill him because the human target took a drink and ended up poisoned. Dr. Midnight tells him that he only has... Um, I'm trying to remember how many days. I think it was only supposed to be like seven days or something like that um, to live. And the human target is a very good detective character. And he knows that whoever attempted to kill Lex Luthor, Luthor and is killing him indirectly is from the Justice League International. So each book is him kind of interacting with different members of Justice League International. That was the team of like Marvin Man, uh, Martian Manhunter, um, Guy Gardner, Blue, Blue Beetle. Beetle, Booster Gold, um, Fire. Booster Gold. Uh, he's got a relationship going on with Ice in this, which pisses off Guy because that's Guy's gr- old girlfriend. Um, Rocket Red, yeah, Batman. Nice. I mean, this book is just outstanding. Um, I know we're at book nine already, but truthfully, and they're four ninety nine a pop. Even if you want to wait until the trade comes out, I think the first trade did come out. Pick up the second, you know, pick them up. These are just wow. The story is amazing. I've been, <clears throat> I've read Tom King's like uh, the Vision. Um, about the you know the vision in his family. I read a couple of other Tom King books, and he likes to take those characters that aren't maybe nearly as popular and do something amazing with them. And he is just hitting a home run with the Human Target, and absolutely should be read. So I can't recommend it enough. So that's what I had. Nice. Awesome. So, you got anything this week to bring up? Yes. Okay. Have you watched Wednesday? Uh-oh. I have not. Watch it. Watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. Okay. Oh, my God, watch it. Watch it. <laughs> Let me put it this way. It is okay. so good that I'm watching it again. I like burned through it the first time. Huh. I'm watching it a second time. Watch it. Um, Jeannie nice. or Jenny Ortega just knocked Wednesday Adams out of the park. And it was a great, it's like a great whodunit. Cool. Um, let's see. Hold on. I'm trying to think. Willow. Have you watched Willow? Not the original movie, the new TV I series. Am not. The new series. The new series. 
Yeah, Nick and Sony both said it was it. It's pretty good. It's decent. Yeah, I mean, is much improved over the uh, movie. Very good. First two episodes out on that. Yeah. Um, Bullet Train with uh, Brad Pitt. I saw that was on. I just found out that was on Netflix yesterday. Yeah. Um, so it was a lot of action, like nonstop action, but I think they overdid it a little bit. In my opinion, they introduced a lot of characters that they could have gotten by with, with maybe three or four less characters than they need to introduce, but very good. Um, okay. The bastards. That's a Sandra Bullock's last movie. I didn't even know she was in it until I watched it. So, yep. Um, I'm a little late to the party on it. Deadpool 2. I hated Deadpool. Like, the original Deadpool, the movie. I mean, hated it. Yeah. Finally got around to watching Deadpool 2. It wasn't bad. I, I kind of enjoyed it. I, you know, I knew... Was it because I had Cable and Domino? Was I don't know if that was necessarily why I liked it more. I just... I just... I, I don't know... I knew what I was getting into with this one, I guess. Because that with that Deadpool, the first... The original Deadpool, um, I went in not knowing exactly what it was. And, uh, well, I knew what it, I mean, I knew the character and everything, but my, um, and I don't mind language, but there was a lot of language in it and it just, you became numb to it. And it, you know, and if you're, you have that kind of language, you typically yeah. want it to make some kind of an impact, not just, Hey, it's rated R so I can cuss all, all, all as much as I want kind of thing. So it, I think that kind of irritated me. Yeah. And I felt like they kind of took it down back a notch in the second one. Or I didn't notice it so much. I got desensitized, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> I, the fact that uh, the first class X-Men were in it cracked me up. Just that little tiny cameo. Yeah. Like... Okay, that's cool. Um, and then the reference to the Green Lantern movie at the very end, I did laugh. Um, yeah. I thought you'd like the one in um, the first one where he said, don't make it green. Yeah. Well, no, there, there was a good, re- I mean, there was a good reference there. It just, like I said, I just what came out of that movie just going, yeah, I get it. You know, uh, there was a, what was a little cartoon that came out and it showed Captain America going, there was so much language. And I'm like, yep, that's what it felt like. It's just too much. Um, and then the final thing was the bastard son and the devil himself. This is on Netflix as well. Um, it is about witches. It felt very much kind of like a more adult version of Harry Potter to an extent. Okay. Um, there's a witch police. There's this kid coming of age, um, but he doesn't have his witch powers yet. Um, and because of a prophecy everybody is after him for one reason or another. And I thought they did an amazing job with it. Okay. I will tell you this. The first, I th- it's only eight episodes. Uh, the first season's only eight episodes. Um, the first episode I was like, okay, I'm done with this. This is stupid. But I let it go and watch the second episode. And I, after the second episode, I was hooked. It's just that, you know, Awesome. 
creating the character in that first episode. So, okay. Yeah, that's everything. You, you watched a lot. Well, it's been a hot minute since we've had this, too. I feel like I'm... Yeah, I feel like I've been behind because uh, yeah, I haven't watched that much. <laughs> I watched... Uh, we went and saw Black Panther Thanksgiving weekend. I still need to see that. I've heard good things. Kind of forever. It is awesome. I thought I was going to have a problem with Neymar not being Atlantean, but I understand that they got beat to the punch because DC owned Aquaman and Marvel doesn't own Neymar. Yep. So, um, but I didn't. The way they did it, it was actually, it was well done. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it was a very nice and loving love letter to Chadwick Boseman. That's what I heard. Um, I don't want to say I liked it more than the first one because I really liked the first one. So I'll put it on equal footing. And I thought Black Panther was one of the best ones to come out of that first phase of Marvel yeah. movies. So, um, but yeah, that was really good. Um, been playing a lot of video games. Uh, so I haven't really been watching TV. We watched uh, Spirited. With Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. Christmas movie. And it's a twist on... It's a twist on uh, A Christmas Carol. Um, That was really funny. Went and watched the U.S. get eliminated by Holland on Saturday. That's not really pop culture-y. Um... Uh oh. Well, apparently I've lost Ryan, so we're just going to cut the episode here. Um, it's uh, been a great, uh, been fun. Uh, we'll see you all in a couple weeks. Uh, take care. Bye.